in essence, the Christian life is praising what you prize. The essence of prizing is the praise of God. I picked up a a brand new book, which I know you're shocked in hearing, (laughs) by Mark Jones. Mark Jones is a pastor in Vancouver, British Columbia, has written a marvelous book on this idea of a devotional upon the attributes of God. And here is what he says about God in 26 chapters. God is triune. God is simple. God is spirit. God is infinite. God is eternal. God is unchangeable. God is independent. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is Yahweh. God is blessed. God is glorious. God is majestic. God is sovereign. God is love. God is good. God is patient. God is merciful. God is wise. God is holy. God is faithful. God is gracious. God is just. God is angry. God is anthropomorphic. 26 different ideas, concepts about God. And he explains in this devotional what those attributes, those characteristics, the aspects of who God is. He explains in this devotional exactly who God is. And because of that, I was thinking along the same lines of Psalm 21. And it seems to me that in Psalm 21, as its counterpart, Psalm 20, as you take them together, there are tremendous attributes or ideas or concepts about our God that I think we could pray tonight regarding. We could look at God in the 26 ways that Mark Jones has written in that devotional book, or you could look here at Psalm 21 and see five of them. Five of them. I think this is going to be very, very practical for us tonight, and I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us maybe to gather in some smaller groups and to be able in our corporate prayer together to praise God for these five things. That would be easier for us than the 26 that Mark Jones puts in his book, right? Psalm 21. Let's read it together. You follow along as I read Psalm 21. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. 
and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Seems to me as we studied Psalm 20 last time and now Psalm 21 tonight, I see particularly in Psalm 21 these five things about our God or maybe our response to our God. And the first one is this. Joy. God is my joy. Or God is my rejoicing. Or even the word that's used here in our English Standard Bible, God is our exaltation. Not exaltation, but our exaltation. And exaltation is just the word for rejoice. And this is something to praise God for, isn't it? God is our joy. Four times in this psalm, which means that this is a wonderful emphasis in this psalm, Joy or rejoicing or exaltation is mentioned, and it's also mentioned in Psalm 20. Look back at Psalm 20, if these two psalms go together, at verse 5. The people say about their king, King David, and about what they hope happens in the defense against their enemies, verse 5, Psalm 20, may we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. In other words, setting up our banners means that we were victorious in battle. And that is something, especially in that particular environment, in which they were readily going to praise God because they were victorious over their foes who wanted them dead, and the reverse happened. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And then notice how Psalm 21 starts in verse 1. O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. And in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. How greatly he rejoices. And then down in verse 6. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. Of course, this is in the context, as I said, of David going to war and and leading his troops to battle. But even there, and even in the time of great conflict, he says, as he does in verse 6, you make him, you make the king, this this is what we say about our God, you make him, the king, glad with the joy of your presence, dear God. I would wonder tonight, if we truly in our Christian lives really see God as our joy. There's there's a lot to be troubled about. There's a lot to be concerned about. But if we were in battle, like the children of Israel here, or whatever vicissitudes or challenges or trials we might face, 
It's certainly not going to be as bad as this. But even if it were, would we have the same attitude that the psalmist has here regarding the joy of his Lord? And that's a repeated phrase in the Psalms, isn't it? The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Praising God for the joy, for the rejoicing, for the exaltation. I think that's what meant. That's what is meant when that author said, praising is the essence of prizing, and prizing is the essence of praising. We praise God exultantly, in joy, in our rejoicing, no matter what's happening in our lives. Isn't that what Philippians chapter 4 says? Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. For us as New Covenant believers, no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter what's true, no matter what's challenging, no matter what's a fact about what we're going through, even the most dire straits, even the most incredible difficulty, here's what we're called upon to do. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, beloved. And then notice the conflict between two sisters in the fellowship. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There was some kind of conflict between the two of them. Verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, probably a meeting of the church in his house, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And then right in the context of trying to see these two women come to peace and not blows with each other, he says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. 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 That's one of those words, those key words in the book of Philippians. And it's a key word here in this chapter 4, especially in this book. Because no matter what's happening in our lives, even in a time of dire straits, even in war, David is saying, Oh Lord, in Your strength, the King rejoices. And in Your salvation, how greatly He exalts. And I have the greatest amount of joy when I'm in Your presence. Is that true of us? No matter what's happening? That's certainly something to praise God about, isn't it? We should praise God tonight in our prayers for the joy, for the rejoicing, for the opportunity to bring exaltation to our God because we are full of joy, no matter what happens. That doesn't mean that the trials will vanish immediately. That doesn't mean that all of those things will be taken away immediately by our God. But through the midst of it, in the very place of the greatest challenge, we can still have joy. Praise God for the joy of the Lord. Number two. Number two. How about trust? Not only joy, but secondly, trust. Trust in the Lord. I see, once again in Psalm 20, and again secondly in Psalm 21, two references to trust. Psalm 20, verse 7. Again in the context of battle, 
Some, Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in Yahweh. It's not just that which is on our coinage in God we trust, but it's also in and through our lives. He's our trust. We don't trust in chariots. We don't trust in horses. We don't trust in our military might. We don't put our confidence in those things. Our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. And then look down at Psalm 21, verse 7. I would venture to say that the most important verse of Psalm 20 is what we just read, verse 7, and the most important verse in Psalm 21 is also verse 7. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he, the king, shall not be moved. Some of you are going through some trials physically. Some of us are going through great trials spiritually, and some with both. Our trust is not in medical science. Our trust is not in military might. Our trust is in the Lord our God. And that has to be something that we're reminded of continually because there seems to be, certainly in our day and age, the challenge to trust in everything else except the Lord because we have technology, we have science, we have so many things that seem to be catapulting us forward in so many innovations that at times, not only in our culture, but sometimes in the church itself, we lose sight of the fact that our trust must be solely and ultimately in the Lord. Turn over in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17. And I want to show you this even from Jeremiah's prophecy. This is probably, I would think, in the Old Testament, one of the clearest places of all where this concept of not only our trust in the Lord subjectively, but that the Lord Himself objectively should be the center of our trust. Look at John, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. And you will find in verses 5 to 8 an amazing passage. wish we had time to develop it in full, but we don't. So, uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord. Now, whenever that's said in our Bibles, that should, uh, that should pique our attention, right? Whenever the Bible says, thus says the Lord, something incredibly important from the Lord God Himself is about to be said. Now, every verse is important, but certainly, and particularly these verses, thus says the Lord, cursed, damned, consigned to judgment, is the man who trusts in whom? Man. Who trusts in man? Jeremiah 17.5 Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes, makes flesh his strength. You know, when I read that verse, I always think about the bodybuilders who are in those places that either have all windows or all mirrors or both. You ever driven by, you ever seen some of those places 
where you're either walking by or maybe you're in there doing your own workout or maybe you're seeing it. Sometimes they even put them on the second floor and you're driving by and you can see all these people and they're doing their, their workouts and some of them are on those bikes and, and those bodybuilders are off to the side and you can see all of those mirrors around and after one or two or three of those sets, what are those bodybuilders doing? They're, they're looking right in the mirror. And they're usually flexing to see how much growth has occurred in the last two minutes. That's what I think of when I think of this verse. Cursed is the man who trusts in man or mankind and makes flesh, makes his arm, your translation may say, his arm, his strength. And notice spiritually what he's doing as he does this. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. We can't trust in princes. We can't trust in horses. We can't trust in chariots. Our trust has to be in the Lord. Because if you put too much trust in yourself, in your powers of persuasion, in your might, in your intellect, in your influence, in your money, your heart will inevitably turn away from the Lord. And then he gives an illustration about what that person is like. That person who trusts in himself. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Now that, my friends, is dry. That's not encouraging. A person who trusts in himself, he makes his own arm his strength. He's trusting in his intellect and his power in his military might, in his government, in government programs. And his heart soon turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert. He doesn't see any good come. He dwells in parched places of the wilderness. And he lives in a land that is uninhabited. It's like the salt that's so incredibly dry and arid. But notice the contrast, verse 7. Blessed, as opposed to cursed, is the man who trusts, yes, he trusts, just like the first man, except in the opposite direction. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Subjectively, he trusts, he places his confidence, his trust in the Lord. That's subjectively his trust. Why? Whose trust is the Lord. Or maybe you could translate it this way. He trusts in the Lord because the Lord can be trusted. The Lord can be trusted objectively. The Lord says, try me. Try me and see if I can be trusted. Put your faith, your confidence in me and see if I can indeed be trusted. And what's the illustration about him? Verse 8. He, the man who is blessed because he's trusting the Lord, because the Lord is his trust, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and he is not anxious in the year of drought and he doesn't cease to bear fruit. Is that, is that so obvious, the contrast? Of course it is. He's got that trust in the Lord like the psalmist in Psalm 1, right? Planted by the streams of water. And what he does, he prospers. He has success. Folks, this is, this is a way in Psalm 21, if you go back there, for a king 
or a subject of the king or a believer, a Christian in our time, to look at Psalm 20, verse 7, and Psalm 21, verse 7, and you could say in memory verses, I trust in the Lord, and through His steadfast love, the love of this Most High, I shall not be moved. That's something to praise God for, isn't it? That's something to pray to our God regarding. I want You, Lord, to increase my trust. Pray that tonight. Pray that the Lord will increase your trust in Him. Number three. Number three of five. The first is joy or rejoicing. The second is trust. God my joy. God my trust. Thirdly, God my deliverance. God my deliverance. Several times. Six times actually. God's salvation is mentioned. And because it's in the context here of military battle, it's probably talking not about spiritual salvation as such, but about physical deliverance. You ever been in a jam? Even physically speaking? Ask God to help you. Ask God for deliverance. And even for us, if we take this in our own context, maybe not from a physical sense, but from a spiritual sense, Lord, deliver me, save me, not only at the beginning point of my Christian life, but continue to deliver me. Continue to bring me deliverance, spiritually speaking, from all my trials. Notice how many times this is said to us. Look all the way back up in Psalm 20, verse 5. May we shout for joy over your deliverance. Your salvation. Verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves. Same concept. He delivers His anointed. He's going to to save David. He's going to to preserve him. The end of verse 6. With the saving might of His right hand. The delivering right hand. The hand of power. That's what that means. Verse 9 of that psalm. O Lord, save the king. And then twice here in Psalm 21. Look at the second part of 21.1. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. In your deliverance. I mean, this is... This is palpably evident here in Psalm 21. David's in battle. He's at war. At some inopportune time, there could be somebody with a knife to his throat. Lord, deliver us. Deliver me. And then he says it again in verse 5. His glory, God's glory, is great Or the king's glory, I should say, is great through your deliverance, your salvation. We could say it either physically or spiritually. God, we praise you for my deliverance. Thank you for preserving me physically. And thank you for saving me spiritually. Isn't that something we can praise God about? Praise God for his salvation. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. This is God's great salvation of us. And you know the kind of salvation, the kind of deliverance that David is talking about? Look at verses 8 and following. 
Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in His wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. I mean, they are... They are talking about real, tangible deliverance. This is is precisely, by the way, the answer to their prayers here in Psalm 21 of what they were praying about in Psalm 20. They they were praying that the Lord would deliver them in in this way, and the Lord did it. They, They cried out to God, and that's why these two psalms go together, and God was faithful to answer their prayers for deliverance. And then number four. Four of our five attributes or four of the ways that we can praise God. Strength. Strength or power. Joy or rejoicing. Trusting in the Lord. Our faith in the Lord. Salvation or deliverance. And now number four, strength or power. And this is very, very important because... It's mentioned to us in verse 1 of Psalm 21, and it's mentioned to us in the last verse of Psalm 21, verse 13. This is what we call an inclusio. This is a, a, like a, a grammatical bookend. It's starting us on the right path in the first verse, and it's telling us at the end, you're still on the right path in the last verse. Notice verse 1. O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. God, my friends, delights in our praising Him for His attributes. Throughout the Bible, God constantly calls us to praise Him for His character. And it's not something like um, the doting old mom who is trying to look young and wants everybody to dote on her. And she's doing everything she can to try to look good so that people can say, my, oh my, aren't you preserved so well? That's not God. That's not His attitude. That's not who He is. That's not what He's all about. He is perfect. And in His perfections, He's asking us to praise Him for all of the perfections of His character. He doesn't have any flaws. He's not asking anybody to dote on him. He's not asking anybody uh, to sort of make up things about him that aren't true. All of these attributes, all of the 26 that we mentioned at the beginning, and these five here are all because God is praiseworthy of such things. He's praiseworthy of our joy. He's praiseworthy of our trust. He's praiseworthy of our deliverance, of His salvation of us, and He is certainly praiseworthy of the great strength and the great power that He supplies for us to live the Christian life. Notice what He says in verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in Your strength. We will sing and praise Your power. I mean, that can't be any clearer. We are to praise God for His strength and for His power. Do you often praise God for His strength, for His power? calls us to do it here in Psalm 21. In fact, that's our fifth and final for tonight. Singing and praising 
this great exalted God. Maybe the word there is exaltation. Exaltation. Joy. Joy or rejoicing. Trusting or having faith in the Lord. Salvation. Salvation or deliverance. And then number four, power and strength. And number five and finally, exaltation. Or maybe this, singing. Praising. That's exactly what Psalm 21.13 says. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. 